If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Would you, dear listener, like more planned gifts for your organization? Could your nonprofit use some five-figure, six-figure, and maybe even multi-million dollar estate gifts? If so, this is the perfect episode for you. We'll be having a conversation with Lori Crancer. Lori is an attorney with two decades of experience in soliciting and structuring planned gifts, and she is also the founder of Everyday Planned Giving. She helps nonprofits develop and launch planned giving programs, everything from structuring them, putting your materials together, training your staff and your volunteers and what they're supposed to be doing. So in preparation for this interview, I spent some time at her blog, and she is clearly an expert in this field. Of course, at the end of the episode, we will share all of the URLs and ways that you can be in touch with Lori. Meanwhile, please join me in welcoming Lori to the podcast. Hey, Lori, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So share with me how you first got involved in legacy giving. Well, it's an interesting story. I practiced law for several years and really didn't feel a connection to what I was doing. I was working litigation. I did estate litigation, commercial litigation, and I wanted to do something more that was, gave me value and helped other people. So I did a lot of soul searching, a lot of networking, and I found this area that I can combine my legal skills plus do marketing, relationship building, and that was legacy giving. And so before you transitioned over to legacy giving, what kind of law were you practicing? I did commercial litigation. I did estate litigation, which was basically people fighting over wills, estates. So I had that experience of the other side of working with planned gifts and legacy gifts. So it was on the side of representing either you know, my client was usually a, a sibling or a, you know, a child and fighting over wills. Interesting. So it sounds like maybe there were times that you were representing heirs who were upset that an organization was getting a piece of the estate? 
They weren't usually organizations. They were usually fights between the siblings or it was truly very upsetting to watch. And, you know, I just decided that I wanted to do something more valuable with my life. Yeah, I was going to say that that sounds like really messy work to be involved in. It was. I almost felt like a therapist many times. <laughs> <laughs> right. A, a therapist, but where your client really wants you to win. And that's an, that, that's an unusual therapist position to be in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so what were your first few engagements or what was your initial work in doing legacy giving with nonprofits? I worked for a national organization that had a very mature program, and it was my responsibility to uh, think of different ways that we can scale the program, reach more donors, and while also processing and closing multi-million dollar gifts. Got it. And so I assume if they had a mature program, they probably had all of the different types of legacy gifts that donors and prospects could make? Yes, we, or I handled gifts that ranged from bequests to endowment gifts, gift annuities, trust. I handled every type of gift that came in because it was a very mature program. They're not the most common gifts, though. Most organizations don't see some of the gifts that I've handled in my career. And it's funny, that's what I was going to ask you. Out of all of the different types of legacy gifts, what do most smaller and medium-sized organizations, what's the most common type that they might receive? There's two. The most common type would be a bequest, which is a gift in someone's will. And that's the most common type of planned gift that there is in the country. I think about 80% of the gifts are in the form of a bequest. They're fairly simple to make. And you know, most people have a will. Or they should have a will. It's easy to do that. I say the second most common gift would be an endowment. And that even though some people don't consider that to be a planned gift, but it's a type of legacy gift that a donor is making an impactful gift for the future. So they can do it as a current endowment or it could be an endowment in someone's will as well. But that's the second most common type. It's funny. I, I was going to jump off of that and, and say, yeah, I think probably the most simple one, especially for small nonprofits that don't have very mature programs, really is just the, hey, will you put us in our will and following up to ask about it? Absolutely. They're pretty easy to close. There is not that much work to do on the organization side except provide some information like the legal name and the tax ID number and perhaps some sample bequest language. As a program gets more mature, an organization can do more for their program with marketing and really helping advise their, well, not give tax advice, but advising their donors on how they can make different types of gifts to the organization. But a simple bequest is pretty easy to do. And I also think it's such an easy pitch for your lower and moderate asset donors who've been giving consistently. So, you know, they might not be able to make a $100,000 gift, but in their will, they might be able to do a five or $10,000 bequest. Yes, that's exactly the point, Alf, because many of our donors cannot give a large impactful gift from their income, but they can from their assets. And there's two different ways of looking at it from a donor's perspective. And, and if a donor wants to make an impactful gift, but can't write out a check from their their checking account or from their giving a stock gift now, they can make an impactful gift in the future through their estate planning. Absolutely. And I know as a fundraiser and as an executive director, I've seen many, many people do that, whether it's a $20,000 gift or a quarter million dollar gift. And I, I've actually joked with the charities I care most about, it's surprising how generous I can be when I'm dead. <laughs> well, what's interesting also is that when an organization starts to promote 
plan giving or legacy giving to their donor base, they actually increase their donor base because you're allowing more donors to make an impactful gift to the organization where they couldn't have done that elsewhere, you know, through a different gift vehicle. So I've had organizations that opened up plan giving programs for their donors and they were able to bring in gifts of jewelry or artwork Whereas the donor didn't need that asset anymore, but wanted to do something big for the organization. Right. Although, I mean, I'm just going to jump in there. I do think that if as an organization, you're looking at taking a gift of jewelry or artwork, you probably want to get an attorney involved in that because there's some IRS regs that really govern how your donor can deduct that. And you want to make sure your donor ends up happy about their deduction. Absolutely. Well, those would go back to what I always recommend every organization I work with to have gift acceptance policies. So when a gift such as real estate or or jewelry or artwork or anything that's a little more complex that comes in, you have some sort of procedure that's in place for the donor to know what their responsibilities are in order to transfer the asset and get their deduction and what the organization's responsibilities are. Right, right. And also, especially around things like real estate to sometimes look that gift horse in the mouth because sometimes real estate's not as much of a gift as you think it's going to be. It's not. Many donors do like to give real estate. I'd say an apartment in Manhattan is very different than some unoccupied land somewhere where it's not very marketable. So you really have to look closely at what the real estate asset is that the donor wants to donate. But we always recommend that a donor have their own advisor, whether that's a tax advisor or an attorney when they're doing the travel planning. Yeah. I'll share with you. I know in my own nonprofit experience, and I know other colleagues that have essentially just repeatedly turned down timeshares, you know, because oftentimes donors, when they can't sell their timeshare, they're like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll donate it to a charity. And that's a bad deal for the vast majority of charities. Absolutely. So when you have very strong gift acceptance policies, you can, as an organization, say to your donor, I'm so sorry, I can't accept this. It's not in our policy. <laughs> right, right. So I know one of the things that you really promote, Lori, is making sure that organizations are marketing their legacy giving opportunities as part of all of their fundraising efforts, including their annual campaign and events, etc. Can you say a little more about that? Right. So legacy giving is marketing driven fundraising and donors need to be told about it or exposed to it in so many different touch points because you you just don't know when your donor is going to be ready to make that legacy gift. So you want to be there when they're ready to make that decision. And by doing that, you need to be in everything that's out there. So your annual campaign materials in your events, you know, it's easy to add a testimonial or a quote from a donor in a journal or your annual report or have a donor stand up at an event and talk about their impactful giving. So that's how you want to work it into everything that you're doing. It makes having the legacy conversation when your donor is ready, makes it so much easier. The phrase I've always used on that is the gift of affiliation. So, so often you'll have a legacy donor who says, oh, I I don't want a big deal made about me. And whether or not that's true, to be able to go back to that donor and say, what we really need from you is a second gift. And that second gift is the gift of affiliation. Because if you're willing to publicly share your story, more people are going to give to us. Absolutely. Social proof. As I like to call it for legacy giving is really important because it shows that other donors are doing the same type of giving. And it also shows that other donors are 
investing in the future of the organizations. And no donor wants to give money to an organization that they don't think has a long lifespan. So by doing these legacy gifts and showing that donors are investing, it raises the confidence for other donors to come in and do the same types of gifts. Right. And and I'll share with you that in my experience, especially lower level major donors, so those that are giving $1,000 or more a year, they often run in similar circles. So after a donor has given us the gift of affiliation and publicized their legacy gift, I've even had some people who know them who are already major donors reach out and go, oh, I just saw that so-and-so made a legacy gift. What could I do? How can I do the same thing? So it is also interesting because you know it is that social proof, but that that peer pressure as well as, oh, people that I know who are like me are doing this. I want to be on the bandwagon. Absolutely. I always recommend to clients that when they're doing their marketing is not to put on the front page of their brochure, this very large impactful gift that they got from a donor that most of their donors cannot relate to. They want to have someone that feels like them, whether that's a teacher or someone in the community that most of their donors understand they can relate to, they know. It's not that we all tend to want to talk about our largest gift that came in. It's so exciting and it is exciting, but that's not really what you want to market. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's a great segue for us to talk about motivations that donors have for actually making that legacy gift. So obviously one of them is, oh, people that I know, but what are some of the other motivations that people have for making a legacy gift? Well, it's interesting. I'm doing a lot of work on changing the mindset of a lot of organizations on what they're looking for, what they think their donors want. Legacy giving is not motivated by tax and income benefits. That's not the first thing on the donor's mind. It really is not. It's the value-based giving of the donor. It is aligning the donor's values and why they're connected to the organization with making an impactful gift. And how they make the gift the gift vehicle comes later on. That's not the important part. It's getting to the why they want to make the gift. And then we talk about the how. And it's really the value-based messaging. Organizations need to work a little bit on to get to it. And I have some exercises that they do sometimes. It's actually very effective for not only legacy giving, but it's all giving. And I tell organizations, you already have your legacy donors. They are in your system. You're not going out there to acquire new donors for legacy gifts. Your donors are there already. You need to figure out from your existing donors why they are giving to you. And not every donor is going to be a legacy donor. But the ones that you want to do a legacy gift, you need to speak with them. That makes a ton of sense. And so when you're going out and you're doing that messaging and you're having those conversations, what are some of the important things for you to be keeping in mind? Having the conversation with a legacy donor is not about talking about the gift at first. So really is talking about all the reasons why the donor wants to give, why they started giving to the organization, why they continue giving to the organization. All those value-based messaging conversations all lead to the legacy gift. So it makes it easier when fundraisers go in to speak to their donors about legacy giving. I always tell them, just take the money off the table. You're not going to be talking about that. So don't stress about having to talk about a gift or having to talk about a money when you're first having a conversation with a donor. It's all about the donor. Don't even talk about the organization. Talk about why the donor has been giving and what they love about the organization. That makes a ton of sense. And I do not know why it reminded me of this, but it did. Gosh, this is about 20 years ago when I was the development director at a, at a social service organization. And we actually got a ton of 
legacy giving prospects from a program that we called $5 for food and fuel. And we essentially asked people to give $5 a month and we use that money to provide food and also utility assistance to low-income individuals. And as the development director, I, I just, I cannot tell you how many checks that we would receive for $5 every month from individuals. And when you just, when you looked at the writing, you could tell that these were often people in their 70s or 80s. And, and it's what in some fundraising circles would be called the widow's might. So these were often very older people on very fixed incomes, and they found $5 every month. But we also found those people to be very fruitful prospects for leaving us something in their will, even if it was $1,000 or $5,000, but to leave us something in their will. Absolutely. Many of the prospects come from, there's different categories. I like to segment our donor bases into different categories of prospects. You have your most engaged, which are your board or any other leadership positions, volunteers. And then there's a lot of different categories, but one you just mentioned I want to point out because this is very, very important. You have your long-term frequent donors. And regardless of the amount that they get, it could be $5 a month, like you mentioned, or it could be $100 a year, once a year. Maybe they're giving three times a year. Maybe it's the donor that gives, every time they get an envelope from you, they're giving money back, a crumbled dollar bill in an envelope. I've had those too. They're wonderful legacy donors. Absolutely. And, and one of the really powerful pitches, especially if it's a, something of a lower amount. So like if it's $100 a year, it does not take that much of a legacy gift that's earmarked to go into a donor advised fund or an endowment to generate that $100 every single year, even after they're gone. And I found that to be a really powerful pitch with some donors. Yeah. I tell everyone there is a planned gift for everyone, no matter how they want to give, no matter how much they have to give, there is a type of gift vehicle for everybody to make an impactful gift. And so, Lori, right now, just to bring this home for our listeners, you and I are recording this on a day when probably the stock market is falling. It's about 1030 in the morning, so I've not, I've not looked at it, but I do know that European and Asian markets were falling when I got up this morning, so I'm assuming our stock market is too. And a lot of our listeners are going, well, this sounds great, but all of my donors have lower assets now than they did before. So for an organization that has not really done much of anything with legacy giving or planned giving at this point, what should their next steps be over the next few months? Really is to, if they haven't planned a legacy giving program yet, is to start on their why. Start on their case statement, why donors want to give to their organization. It doesn't have anything to do with the assets the donor has now. It's their connection with the organization. And if they want to then proceed into doing a program and start asking for types or accepting types of gifts, then it would be a bequest because your bequest you may not get for 20, 30, 40 years from now from donors. So if you start to connect your donors with why they want to give, you don't have to worry or be concerned about the stock market, how it is now, because donors will want to give regardless. They're not looking for those tax breaks. I love your approach on that. And what a great way to further cultivate your donors as the market is crashing to say, essentially, will you consider us out of your future assets? So your assets in 10 or 20 or 30 years, even people in their 70s and 80s are not thinking, oh, I'm going to die tomorrow. They're looking out 5, 10, 15 years. I love that. So Lori, I want to make sure that we have time for the off the map question because we are very rapidly running out of time in this conversation. And you know, this is an opportunity for our listeners to get to know you a little bit as a person. And I understand that you live in a 
100-year-old Victorian home in Brooklyn. And I think I even have heard that your home can be seen in some TV shows. Yes. So we live in a wonderful neighborhood in Brooklyn that has these old Victorian houses. Actually, the house is 115 years old, and I think we're the fourth owner of it. And I grew up in Brooklyn. I'm actually third generation Brooklyn. My daughter is fourth generation Brooklyn. And we just love these old houses with the back staircases and wraparound porches. And there is quite a bit of filming that goes on in our neighborhood because it can easily pass for a Virginia suburb. So we're constantly getting notices under our door to film in our house. And we've had three film shoots in our house. Wow. Can you tell us what shows we could see the inside of your house on or no? Is there a contract that prevents you from doing that? That's interesting. I'm not sure if there is or not. (laughs) I can tell you, we did have Discovery Channel here recently. So that was what we had. Very cool. That might be worth me getting cable to try to see you on Discovery Channel. That's awesome. So Lori, our listeners and I are incredibly grateful to you for sharing your expertise on the podcast. And I feel certain that many listeners want to know how they can get in contact with you. So Before I share that, dear listeners, I want to make sure that you know that Lori has an incredible legacy giving quiz at her website, everydayplannedgiving.com. I checked the quiz out. I have to tell you, it is asking every single right question that you should be asked as you're thinking about your legacy giving or planned giving program. So I would strongly suggest that you visit everydayplannedgiving.com and take that quiz. It's even ideal for you to take it if you reach out to her to have more of a conversation so that way she can see those results and it will help her tailor that conversation with you. I also want to make sure you are aware that she has a very active Facebook group. So if you go to that Facebook group, she's doing live seminars, webinars, there's discussions, etc. So make sure you search on Facebook for Legacy Giving Made Simple. That is the name of her group. We will also link to it in our show notes. And then finally, I want to make sure that you know about her upcoming 12-month planned giving program, which is a series of courses and resources to expand your planned giving program. So please make sure you check her out at everydayplannedgiving.com and also visit her Facebook group, Legacy Giving Made Simple. We will post all of those links in the show notes. Lori, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. It's been great to be here. So if you were just Googling Discovery Channel to try to figure out what show you could see Lori's house on, don't worry about it. Keep looking for that house. And here's why. Because you did not need to write down any of those URLs. We're going to have them all at our show notes, SuccessfulNonprofits.com. Now, after you have taken Lori's quiz, please take a few minutes to support this podcast by sharing it with a board member or colleague. Sharing the podcast tells the world that you are constantly seeking professional development opportunities, and it also helps your own nonprofit get stronger, and in this case, get more legacy gifts. Now, if sharing the podcast is not genuine for you, then I would appreciate a quick review on your streaming app of choice. It is easy, and you can do it literally just by picking up your phone and doing it right now. That, dear listeners, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. 
I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.